Praise the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. All right, let's get in the Word. Uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Me and Eddie were talking last night. He said something about a half-hour message. So I don't know what that meant. I think that meant half an hour. Okay. I'm looking for time here. I'm going to try. <laughs> it says... I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. Listen to how he wrote that. This is Paul. I solemnly charge you, this is 2 Timothy chapter 4, solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. So he's solemnly charging him in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready. I want you to pay attention to this phrase. Be ready in season and out of season. Approve, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you be sober in all things and endure hardship and do the work of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, right now, anoint Your Word, Lord. Uh, give me the power, Lord, through the Holy Spirit to preach it the way You want it preached. Let it be your heart and let it be your desire for this church, Lord. And um, Lord, I just pray that you speak to hearts, Lord, through this message. And uh, bring encouragement and um, strength. And um, Lord, make us stable in these days that are unstable, Lord God. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Lord. Alright, as we get into this word, uh, before I get into the actual text, I want to talk a little bit about the title of my message. It's Ready for Anything. Ready for Anything. And uh, when I was a kid, I was eight years old, I um, we started going to church and we started attending in, in Evansville, Calvary Temple Assembly of God. And so as a kid, I didn't have a whole lot of stability and things to grab onto. And... Um, I remember going into that program, and there, the man that ran the program, his name was Major Chester Brummett, and he actually was the most decorated, um, maybe the most decorated soldier in the area. And so our pastor would have him display his medals. He had one, at least one of each of the four major medals, had several Purple Hearts, several medals from World War II. He was a retired major, but in the Korean War, uh, he was an advisor and, um, you know, just continued to be a part of the military. And so he would actually run our ranger organization like it was the military. And so for an eight-year-old kid, I'd heard about him through other people. He never talked about himself very humble, 
very strong man, older man. And uh, I'll often tell the story about how he controlled us as far as behavior, not in a negative way, in a very positive way. Because if we ever acted up, he never said a word. He just was a very quietly strong person. And he would pull out a notepad and he would start writing things down. And he'd put it back in his pocket. And we never knew what he wrote down there, and he never shared what he wrote down, but he'd always just write it down, and that was enough to bother us. And uh, But a good, sweet man, he'd, he'd, he'd adopted several children, and and um, and he would make us, uh, we would march in the parade on West Franklin every year, and we'd have a float that would say, the king is coming, and he would have us. Uh, we'd have to wear crest khakis, a certain kind of belt, shine shoes, uh, our ranger, best uniform they had, bolo tie, everything, and we looked like a military. We would go on hikes and he would have us ration our food like we were the military. He would take us to Fort Knox and different bases and he knew everybody there. We'd eat in the mess hall and he treated us like we were military. And um, But he, was, he loved the Lord. And uh, when I was in the hospital... Um, when I was really young, he actually gave me the insignia on his purple heart because I was in the hospital for a long time with a burst appendix. And so he just was somebody that I looked up to. In fact, I, they had me write when I was in school of somebody I admired as a kid, and the only one I could think of was him. And so I often tell my kids, and it's kind of a joke with my kids, but it's really the truth, is my whole life I've tried to be ready for anything. I've tried to, you know, if I'm out on the road and somebody's broke down, I have everything in my truck to help a person who's in need, to help people. When I'm in a restaurant, I'm always ready and always, I feel like it's my responsibility to watch the door, watch who walks in, watch who behaves funny, watch who does something out of whack. It's just always ready for anything. And my kids have asked me before why I'm like that. And I tell them this, and it's a joke, but it's actually true. It's it's really weird, I know. But when I was eight years old, he would have us come to the front, and before every meeting, we had to say the Ranger Pledge and the Ranger Motto. And the Ranger Motto was, ready for everything. I'm ready, ready for anything, ready to work, play, serve, obey. And that's what it was back then. It's It's a little different now, I noticed. But my whole life I remember that, ready, ready for anything, ready to work, play, serve, obey. And I've always remembered that. And I always tell my kids, I said, when I was eight years old, I said a pledge. <laughs> and when I said that motto, the other eight-year-olds didn't mean it, but I did. And honest, as honest as I can be, for some reason I grabbed a hold of that understood it, and I felt like I was making a solemn pledge. Because he was such a, he had such gravity in his personality. And with God's help, I will do my best to serve God, my church, and my fellow man to live by the ranger cold, make the golden rule my daily rule. And how many know that almost was the only sinner's prayer I could say as an eight-year-old? But I understood it. And my motto for life has been to be ready for anything. And this is that solemn part of the Scripture that we really undervalue a lot of times with Paul. 
Paul is in a place right now when he writes 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's in Mamertine prison. And this, I've preached about it before, but it was a carved rock underneath the ancient city of Rome. And the only way you could get in this cell was to lower the prisoner into it and one at a time could be there. It's the most brutal prison in the world. And when the waters would get a certain height, uh, it was sewage. It was the city's sewage would rise up into that cell and it's considered brutal. The worst uh, enemy of the Roman state would be put in that prison. And so this is supposedly where Peter spent his last days and then Paul spent his last days. And Paul most likely wrote Timothy from there right before he was executed. And so he's in a brutal prison where a lot of times they just intentionally forgot to feed him. A lot of them would just die because they weren't getting food. A lot of them, the conditions were so bad. But he wrote this um, almost undoubtedly with the smell of raw sewage all around him and completely isolated. The only light he had was the hole that they dropped him in. And it's the most secure, most brutal prison in the ancient world at that time. And so he's writing this letter to Timothy. And uh, the background of it is Timothy has been um, kind of his disciple for a long period of time. In fact, uh, Paul is kind of abandoned by everybody else, and I think we should miss this, because a lot of times we think how great it would be to be Paul. You know, Paul had this life and, uh, you know, and man, everybody, you know, adored Paul and everybody, and Paul was great and everybody in the whole world knows about Paul and Paul's wonderful. But if you read the verses after this, it says, um, in verse nine, it says, be diligent to come to me quickly, Timothy, because Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's departed for Thessalon, uh, and has departed to Thessalonica, um, Crescens has uh, for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the carpet, coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works, yet you must also be aware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. Now look at the last verse. It says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be held against them. You see how abandoned he was at times? And so when Paul says, in season and out of season, he's saying there's times that I stood all alone. How many know sometimes when people are getting arrested and People are getting charged and people are being brought into the uh, criminal confinement. Somehow, Sometimes it feels like there's nobody left. Everybody stands back and just says, hey, you know, let Paul go. And so Paul is particularly in a moment of abandonment here. And um, so he's trying. In fact, a few verses later in verse 6, I read up to verse 5, but in verse 6 it says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight and finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved His appearing. Do you hear this? Paul knows he's about to be executed. He knows he's about to die. 
And so he's trying to give his final words to Timothy to encourage him to live out his faith in the world that he's in. And so as we look at this, we want to look back and chapter three is very important and I, and I would be easier to preach this message if I didn't read the whole thing, but listen to what he says in chapter three. But realize this, Timothy, in the last days, difficult times will come. You see what he's trying to tell Timothy? If you want to preach the word, which is what he's asking him to do in chapter four, verse one, he says, Hey, realize this, Timothy. The last days, difficult times will come. How many think that's a realistic statement for us who are preaching the gospel today? How many have ever experienced difficult times that season? (laughs) We have. He says, difficult times will come. Well, why will they come, Paul? Because men will be lovers of their self, lovers of money. They will be boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. But you say, man, the world is terrible. But he says, no, these are the ones that are holding to a form of godliness. But they deny the power. So he's telling Timothy, you're going to go into a world that's difficult, because you're going to find all of these things and that's who you're preaching the Word to. And so be very careful because this is what you're called to do. It says, avoid such men as these, for among them they enter into households, captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led by various impulses, always learning, but they'll never be able to acknowledge the truth. So how many know, preaching the Gospel, you're going to run into a lot of things? And he's trying to encourage Timothy to be faithful to preach in season and out of season, even when he runs into these things. And he already had mentioned to Timothy that Alexander the coppersmith was terrible to him. And if we look at Paul, it's amazing to look at the transformation. Because Paul, in order to be a part of a family that were Roman citizens as Jewish people, how many know he probably, his family had a lot of money? He was probably very well to do. He was very well respected. He was a future senator because he was a future member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, he was one that was uh, elevated by his education, elevated by his family name. He was a Roman citizen. He was doing really well. And then God got a hold of him and said, Paul, you're going to preach the gospel. <laughs> and so when you begin to look at Paul, from that moment... Everywhere that he went, there were some really good times. There were times he cast out demons. There were times people got saved. There were times that uh, people came to the Lord that were from all levels of society. But Paul also ran into all kinds of troubles. You know, there were all kinds of people that gave Paul trouble. They imprisoned him. They beat him. They did all kinds of, I mean, terrible things. To Paul, not only that, he had several natural disasters like shipwrecks and snake bites and, you know, everything that Paul ran into, uh, traveling over harsh areas, uh, just everything that could happen to a person, Paul had went through it. He'd been in good seasons and bad seasons. 
had been times where he was so happy and so full of joy because he seen pagans who never knew anything about God but came to the Lord. How many know that Paul seen conversions like nobody has ever seen and he had the joy of being a father uh, to those new converts and discipling them and doing great things. But he also had the the seasons where his very very best friends rejected him. He was, you know, he was slandered. If you look at the details of what was said about Paul, he was slandered to a level that maybe not very many people in, in history have ever been slandered. Uh, every town that he went in, went into, they had already had negative things to say about Paul that just simply weren't true. And so he had to deal with all these things. So that's what he's telling Timothy. You're going to run into all these things. And then he continues down to verse 10 and he says, But you, Timothy, have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as what happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. See, Timothy was saved as a teenage uh, boy when Paul went through his first missionary journey. And so Timothy was with him when he was stoned and and they thought he was dead and threw him out of the city and he was resurrected. <laughs> he was there when he preached the gospel and that first missionary journey and Timothy traveled with him everywhere. And so Timothy had seen everything. And he said, you had seen the persecutions I endured and out of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. So look, those who preach the gospel, Timothy, you've been a witness. We're going to suffer a lot of things. But, by contrast, there are going to be those that go around, evil men who are imposters. They will proceed from bad to worse. They will deceive and being deceived. You, however, continue the things you've learned and be convinced of them, knowing from who you learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Now, Timothy's probably in his early 30s now. He'd been with Paul since he was a teenager. He said, from your childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, all Scripture, Timothy, is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So he lays the foundation of the Word of God. All Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness, to reprove, to rebuke, to train people in righteousness, to allow them to be able. Our job is to train people in the sacred Scriptures so they know how to live life. So they'll be trained in righteousness. They'll be equipped to do every good work. If we don't do our job, I mean, oh, there are teenagers, there are children, there are young adults, there are middle-aged people, there are elderly people. If we don't teach them the Word of God, they are not equipped to be trained in righteousness or even know how to live life before God. They don't know what God expects from them, and so they can't fulfill God's plan and purpose for their life. That's how important our job is. So he says, now I can get to verse 1. It says, I solemnly charge you, based on what I previously said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is a legal term, solemnly charge you. This means he's standing at the bench of a judge and he's giving a legal term that I solemnly charge. This is bigger than me giving my oath in Rangers. 
This is him saying, before God and Jesus Christ, you have been solemnly charged to deliver the Word of God the way that I did. Take that charge very seriously. And church, we have been solemnly charged in good seasons and in bad seasons, no matter what time it is, no matter how popular it is, no matter how popular we are, we've been charged to solemnly deliver the Word of God properly. And we're going to get into that. But he says before God and before Christ Jesus, he stands there. Can you see him there with his hand up before God, before Jesus Christ, and before Paul? says, Timothy, you've been solemnly charged. And that's how serious this is. And Paul's saying this before he dies. Who? Now why is it so important that I charge you to do this? Because he is about to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom. So the reason why it's so critical that we preach the Gospel is because He is about to judge the living and the dead, and we're all going to stand before Him in judgment and give an answer to our life. That's why it's so serious. You say, well, man, that's not that serious. Just think of it this way. My husband, my wife, my son my daughter, my neighbor, just think of anybody that you loved. That person is going to have to stand before God very soon and give an account. Now, is it any more solemn than that of a charge? We're Our job as the church is to prepare every living soul that's on this earth, prepare them to stand before God. That's how... Serious this charge is. <clears throat> Paul uses nine imperatives here. Five in verse 2 and four in verse 5. What is an imperative in grammar? Let me give you the definition of imperative. It's an adjective that means completely necessary or very important, but also is a commanding uh, statement. A noun meaning a necessity or something that is not avoidable. It is a clear command. So nine imperatives about preaching the Word in that short little area there. Do you think that he could have... I mean, there's he couldn't have been more emphatic in the way that he presented. Paul's about to die. And so he's very serious, solemn terms giving us nine imperatives. Hey, do this. Please do this. Don't miss this. This is very important. Don't look past this. How many think it was his last words that's really important? He's thought a lot about it. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. So in verses 1 to 2, he's talking about the importance of preaching. Verses 3 and 4, he's talking about why hearing the Word is so important. And then in verse 5, he's talking about the expected opposition that he knows is going to come and how you have to persevere in the preaching of the Word. So a very simple outline. Preach the Word because of this. This is why it's so important. Hear the Word. This is why it's so important. And here's what you're going to face, and you better not back down. I didn't back down. That's what he's saying. So why preach? We already covered that. It's a solemn charge because we're preparing people uh, to give an account before God. Every person on the earth is going to have to give an account before God. <clears throat> what does it mean to preach? Preach in its most uh, simple definition means to be a herald. 
That means to um, take a message from a king and deliver it to the people. How many have ever seen a newspaper called The Herald? And if I were to write an article about somebody and I were to report on what they said at a press conference, I am not allowed to put my own words in there. I'm supposed to take the words of that press conference, put it in the article, and deliver it in the way that they expected it to be delivered. Not change it around or make it sound like something else or you know, just report exactly what happened, the facts. Our job is to be a herald of God. To be a deliverer of truth in the way that God intended it to be delivered. My job is not to tell you stories um, about myself. My job is not to make you laugh. My job is not to tell you jokes. My job is not to show you a great personality and great things. And, and what I'm saying is, there's going to come a day, the Bible says in this verse, where people gather to themselves people that are not reporting the truth. You can hear messages over and over and over, week after week after week, but you never hear the expectation of what God expects for our life. And so our job very simply is to report everything that God has asked us to report and in the way that God asked us to report it. Um, this takes me out of the equation. In church, I'm so happy. One thing I'm very, very happy about is I listen to our podcast. In fact, I listened this week and, uh, and, uh, you know, I listened to the message that Jason, I was telling him this week, the message he delivered on the, uh, wolves and then Eddie, the message he delivered on the sheep, hear his voice. And then the message that he even delivered on, uh, making sure that you are not giving up the work and making sure the work's completed. And can I tell you something? Every message that I see on our podcast, every one that I listen to, is very biblical. You know, we're going through the Word of God, we're delivering the Word of God, but, but we, should, we, we need to make sure as a church that we never uh, get to the point where we're not delivering a message from God, from the Word of God. And how many know you can go a lot of places and they don't talk about sin? They don't talk about what's pleasing to God. They don't talk about anything that would step on anybody's toes. And see, this is the thing. Paul's about to die and he says here, three things we're supposed to do when we preach. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And so we better listen to what he says because this is a solemn charge. To reprove is a legal term that means to present a case in such a manner as to convince the opponent of their wrong. A preacher must present the case if the lifestyle is other than what the Word of God speaks about. And so we need, in our preaching, we have to include reproving. And how many, how many like that? Reproof. Hey, Chad, you're going to be reproved. Eddie, come, 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 let's talk. I want to reprove you. So, Kim, I want to reprove you. Ryan, are you okay to be reproved in front of everybody? But how many know if our job is to reprove automatically, that's a difficult thing to do. 
But we also recognize that we're all sinners. And how many realize we're all capable of wandering away from the Word of God? And so if I'm wandering away from the Word of God, I don't want somebody to preach the Word to me and tell me that I'm okay when I'm not okay. And so Paul is saying, I solemnly charge you before God and the Son. Put up your hand, solemnly charge you to preach the Word. And will you please reprove him? And so I have to, if I solemnly take this, which I have, solemnly vow to preach the Word of God, I have to reprove. The second thing it says is rebuke. This means that you have to, you have to challenge the person to change or repent. You know, if, if we deliver messages every week and the messages never ever come to a point where we say, you have to change. You have to repent. How many think the Bible ever says repent? Or repent of your sins or, or ask forgiveness of your sins. And, but, but here's the thing. You can hear a lot of preaching around the country and never hear the message about rebuking. About asking people to change, uh, because we're so much, uh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to, you know, we want to, you know, we want to make sure we make everybody feel comfortable, but man, I would hate to see lots of people go before the throne of God to answer, say, you know what? Nobody ever asked me to change. Nobody ever reproved me. It's like a child who lives in a home who's never disciplined. And has never had anybody ever put any guardrails on there and say, hey, stop what you're doing. And you're just allowed to live your life and do whatever. That's what it would be like if we preached and didn't reprove and did not review. And so God asks us to do that. The third thing that he says here is to exhort. This is a word. See you later, Paul. Again, I'm sorry. Telling myself bye. That was a rookie mistake on my part. <laughs> Um, he exhorts. It says exhort. Exhort means to strongly encourage somebody to the right behavior. How many know some people need to be reproved? Some people need to be rebuked. And some people need to be encouraged. And the Bible asks us to do all of those things. And then it says with great patience and instruction. People require time to change. How many know that we need to have great patience because you can say, hey, this is not right behavior. I encourage you to have the right behavior. Or I reprove or rebuke. But how many know you've got to have patience in your preaching and you've got to give instruction. So every week you're going to feel like when you're preaching that you're repeating the same thing over and over. Because that's what it requires, great patience. And you're constantly saying, hey, here... This is how you stop doing this. This is how God heals you of this. This is how God, and so great patience we preach and we, great patience we reprove, great patience we rebuke and you say, no, my way or the highway. Live it. And you guys have seen those kind of preachers. God has called us to that. God called us to have great patience, great love, great mercy, great grace. But He definitely has called us to 
reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience and great instruction. So the next thing, the Bible says hearing the word is of utmost importance. Watch here. Hearing the word. So you can have the greatest message in the world. I'm talking to this side too. Uh, you can have the greatest message in the world. You can reprove, you can rebuke, you can be patiently instructing. But how many know if they don't have a heart to hear? Then it doesn't help. And so this is a mutual, in fact I put a mutual responsibility of this solemn vow. We have to be a church that wants to hear that type of preaching. Because it says, for the time will come, this verse 3, for the time will come when they, and implied is those in the church, will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. You'll find teachers who tell them what they want to hear, and not what they need to hear. What they want to hear, and not what they need to hear. And so church, as a church, we need to be the type of church that wants sound teaching. Now, I did a whole sermon on sound teaching. That is the word in the Greek where we get hygiene from. I mean, no, we need the type of teaching that brings health to our lifestyle, health to the body. And if we ever get to the point where we reject sound teaching, we are in trouble as a church. We are in big trouble as a church. Because sound teaching is like a parent who says, okay, little Debbie is going to be our staple food now from here on out. I know you guys like oatmeal cream pies. I know you like Swiss cakes. I know you like all of these various uh, little Deborah snacks. So from now on, that is going to be the main course of every meal because we know... That's what you like. And sometimes the Word of God can be that. They can say, hey, you know, uh, we did a survey. And the survey says 20-minute sermonettes. You say, well, perfect, man. That's what the people want. That's what the people get. 30, 20 minutes, you know. But the problem is 20 minutes every Sunday. How many know you can't even hardly get the background of a book in 20 minutes? Truly, you can't. And, well, we just want what, you know, we don't want you to talk about sexual sin. You know, if I say sexual sins from the pulpit, a lot of churches, they would say, hey, hey, easy there. Back up there, pastor. But how many know we're called to preach about pornography? We're called to preach about adultery. We're called to preach about fornication. We're called to preach about sexual vices. We're called to preach about homosexuality. And we're called to preach what the Bible says about those things because that's part of reproving. That's a part about if if it were my own child, would I preach about those things? Yes, I would. Would I hold Christians accountable if I cared about them? Yes, I would. And so, in a very patient kind of way, in a very loving kind of way, we can't just avoid topics. How many agree with that? 
And part of sound teaching is not going in and burying people and saying, this is how it is, this is how it is, and just tearing them apart, but addressing every issue that's in our society. If our society is suffering from these issues, how many know that we have to address them? We have to present sound teaching, hygienic teaching in those areas, which means what are we going to be to the society around us? We're going to be facing the same tribulations and trials that Paul faced because he was addressing the same subject. And so it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. All those things that were in that list in chapter 3, we're going to run into. We're going to be slandered. We're going to be hated. We're going to be treated badly. We're going to be all these things. But Paul is encouraging him, don't let that hold you back. Preach the Word in season and out of season. Please. Then he goes on and he says, um, but you, Timothy, this is verse 5, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. It gives him four things in closing here. Number one, be sober. Um, obviously that's a connotation of not drinking, but even more so than that, it is making sure that you evaluate what's going on around you. Like to be sober-minded is to look at the society that you live in and evaluate what is my, what is my purpose in this world that we live in. And our purpose is to deliver the Word of God. To be faithful no matter whether it looks good for us or bad for us, whether there's lots of people here or one person here. It doesn't matter. Paul was sitting in a cell totally abandoned and you wonder what his mentality was because everybody that was a part of that movement had been rounded up and killed. You know, Peter had just uh, been crucified. Paul was about to be executed and his head was cut off. All of the disciples were rounded up and most of them were martyred some several years earlier. And so Paul, to look around in the season that he was in, he would have said, well, wait a minute, why am I preaching the gospel? But how many know that Paul and the things that he was writing in that cell, when he says bring the parchments, I mean, he literally is having Mark, he says send Mark because he'll be very useful. Mark was one that abandoned him earlier, but now was back with him. And Mark was uh, consulting with Peter at that time before Peter died, and he actually wrote the book of Mark based on his conversations with Peter. Uh, And then Luke was talking. He said, Luke was the only one with me. Guess what Luke was doing? Luke, from the time he was uh, in the the earlier jail stay, when he was in uh, uh, Caesarea Maritima, which is the headquarters of the Roman government there in Israel, when he was there, in a couple year prison stint, Luke started writing the, the history that we find in Luke and Acts. So here Paul, uh, while he's in this tremendously bad season, he's faithful to deliver the gospel. And because Paul wrote it down, how many millions and millions of people, how many believers in the world right now because Paul was faithful in a very tough season to do what God called him to do And so God is calling us to say, well, man, what's the matter? Well, can I tell you something? I've never seen uh, Major Chester Brummett, 
another time after I was probably 12 years old. Never seen him again. Never heard from him again. Disappeared from my life. But here I am preaching a sermon at age 50, living by the model. The other eight-year-olds didn't take it serious, but I did. And how many know the life that you live when it's out of season is the life that everybody sees? Everybody can live it in season, but who's going to live it when everything's tough and everything's hard? And, and, and you know, we've got to be as faithful in that moment as we are in the good times. We've got to be faithful at all times, ready and ready for anything. Ready to work, play, serve, obey. You know, just remember, we've we got to be ready in season and out to live for Christ. And we're in one of those seasons. He says, endure hardship. That means there's a lot of different variety you're going to go through. Can I tell you, I've been through a lot of hardship just like you guys have been through a lot of hardship. You've been through all kinds of various situations. And um, God is just saying that anybody that serves Christ is going to go through hardships. You're going to have to endure them and stay steady in the world. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't look around and say, no, this is a bad season. I'm going to pull back. Well, let's stay faithful to do everything you can. You may be able to do less in certain seasons than others, but be faithful with what God has given you to do. Say, I'm going to be faithful with that. I'm going to do it. Amen? The third thing he says is, do the work of an evangelist. Well, this is awesome. He's asking Timothy, who may not have been a great evangelist. He's saying, okay, don't be so preoccupied with those who are in the faith, never forget you're an evangelist. Never forget we're always trying to reach the lost. How many know as a church you can get cocooned inside of the church and the problems and the hardships and the difficulties and trying to mature the believers that you can forget the lost world? And so he's telling Timothy, don't go to that direction where it's all about you and God's people. Never stop being an evangelist. Paul had a heart for evangelism. So I love the fact that he told Timothy that. And then the last thing he says, and I'll close with it, we won't come on up right now. It says, fulfill your ministry. Those few words, don't bail out. He's saying don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit doing what you're doing just because times are hard. You say, but Paul, how can you tell me that? My life's really hard. Paul's like, I'm living in the sewer. Okay, um, they're about to cut my head off. I mean, no, this is a serious person giving a serious word. You don't stop. You know, you made a pledge. You made a solemn vow. Your job is to get people ready to give an account before God. You don't stop. You fulfill your ministry, Timothy. This is a command of the utmost imperative. Make sure you don't stop, Timothy. I'm not stopping. I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering. And how many know that's the stop that we're from? That's the vow that we made. We're going to serve God to the very end. And it don't matter if it's popular or if it's not popular. If you're preaching the gospel, can I tell you something? Don't judge them by how popular they are. Judge them by the contents of the words. Are they delivering the word that God asked them to deliver this congregation? That we've got what God's called us to do. We've got to get each other ready. I've got to get you ready to stand before God. You've got to get me ready to stand before God. We've got to give a good account. And that's what we're here for. If my message isn't helping you give a good account, 
then what am I doing? If I'm not reproving, rebuking, encouraging with all the things to help you give a good account before God, then I'm not doing what He's called me to all right, let's go, Lord, and pray. Heavenly Father, turn the lights down. Heavenly Father, right now, we come before you, Lord, and I just pray that we would search our hearts, Lord. Lord, that our commitment in this season that we're in. Lord, we all admit it's a funny season for the church, Lord. For all the churches, all the pastors. It's a funny season, Lord God. We have never seen one like this. Lord, I just pray that you would search our hearts. Lord, and that we would uh, solemnly commit ourselves to the preaching of this gospel in the church. That we would be evangelists to the lost commit ourselves to making one another accountable, Lord, be faithful, Lord, to uh, not be discouraged by those who in chapter 3 all spoke about that we would keep our eyes focused on the prize, Lord. Lord, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit do the work that I can. Holy Spirit, convict, encourage, I just feel like this is a personal time between you and the Lord. So don't think of it. I close in a word of prayer. I just want to say that when I was praying over this message and trying to put into words, uh, really the Lord had just put in my heart as I listened to Jason's message and Kevin's message and Eddie's message, the thing that made me so happy as a pastor was I could hear they... Their messages weren't guest speaker messages. You know what I mean? A guest speaker can just come in and speak and they were pastoral messages. 
And that's what made me so happy was to hear um, Jason, the one you preached on the wolves. That is a pastoral message. That's somebody that their heart has been led by the Holy Spirit to watch the flock and say, hey, this is the type of church that we want to be, that we are watching over each other and making sure that there's not anything destructive and keeping. The message that he spoke was somebody praying over the body and saying, hey, some of you have stopped. And uh, God's called you to do something. God's called you to fulfill that ministry. And and you can hear uh, Eddie's message, you know, that his sheep hear his voice. And it's a pastor praying over the flock and saying, hey, we need to hear his voice. And he's protecting us and he's watching over us. And how many know you can hear the... You can hear the reproof in those. You can hear the rebuke in those. You can hear the um, encouragement in those. And so, church, I'm encouraged. I hope that spirit of shepherding just goes over this whole body. And if we're a church that cares about the body and cares about, uh, you know, helping one another have a good account before God, then God can do so many amazing things in our church. And you say, are we going to? have lots of numbers. I don't know about numbers. I don't really think about numbers. I think about the quality. What was that? I thought it was a rooster. Okay. Okay, I'm good. But if we could just be a church that is just uh, faithful to love one another, faithful to watch over one another, and faithful to be preaching the Gospel in a season that's very difficult. It really is a difficult season. And we just want to continue growing in our ability to preach the Gospel at a high level to more people, more places, more ways, more effectively. In church, we're doing that. And we just need to be faithful to do that no matter what. Like We're not going to stop. We're just going to keep being faithful in what God's called us to do no matter what the season looks like. We're going to be faithful. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I love Your people, Lord, and I know You do. And uh, these are Your sheep, Lord God. And I just pray that You would uh, pour a blessing upon them of strength, encouragement, Lord. Um, Lord, give them a sense, Lord, that not only is there a good shepherd watching over them, Lord God, but that we are together watching over one another, Lord, loving one another. Oh, Lord God, just praying for one another. Lord, I just pray that that Spirit, Lord God, would uh, cover our churches, Lord. Spirit of unity and strength and encouragement, Lord God, right now. And I pray that You would bless each and every person, Lord, and help them fulfill the ministry that You've called us to do, Lord. Each one. And uh, do it now, Lord God. And um, your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Bless you. Love you guys.